Good morning. It's good to be with you again um, in our series on what Christians pursue. Our text for today is from um, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, sorry, to the Philippians. Better get my text right. Philippians chapter 3. It's amazing in God's providence how the songs chosen and the prayers prayed and the thanks given all sort of leads up to what I have to share this morning. We'll be looking at a few verses in chapter 3, but for the sake of context and to appreciate what Paul is saying, we will read the whole chapter, 21 verses, and um, the, the part in the beginning and the part at the end sort of give the context and explanation for the part that we'll look at in verses 12 to 16. So if you are there in Philippians 3, give your prayerful attention, please, as I read through the chapter. This is the word of the true and living God, and this is what he is saying to us today. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Why? Verse 3, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Why? Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Verse 7, but, and here's where things turn, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk... Of whom, I am, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And then something that accords with our song that we've just sung. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with 
the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. May God bless the reading of his word. Shall we just pray before we begin? Our gracious God and loving Father, there are so much, this, this is such a rich passage. We want to thank you for the richness of your word, which is a blessing to us because by it we learn so many truths about you, about ourselves, about the work that you have done for us and about the work that we have yet to do. We want to thank you, Lord, that your spirit, who is the author of all scripture, is the same spirit who dwells in us to teach us your scripture and to point us to the things that we need to learn and to pay heed. And we pray that even as we study your scripture now, that he would speak to us in the corners and the deep recesses of our hearts and minds to shine a light, Lord, that our sin would be exposed, but also, Lord, that your grace would be revealed all the more to us who are sinners who do not deserve, as we have just heard. And we just pray, Lord, that having seen our own sin and having seen the boundless grace that you give to us, that we would be motivated to serve you all the more and to await that day when Christ comes so that we can be with him. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Like I said, while we've read the entire chapter, the main thrust of our study will be four verses in the middle, verses 12 to 16. We'll use the blocks at the beginning and the end to sort of give us context and help us to understand what that chapter or that section in the middle is telling us. And there are quite a few themes that we can discern from this text, from this chapter, but the one that I want us to be looking at is the pursuit of heavenly reward. Verse 14 is a key verse for this pursuit. I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This tells us there is a pursuit of something, of a reward. I press on to get the prize. Paul tells us that he's pursuing a heavenly reward, and then verse 15 and 17 exhort us to follow suit and do the same. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as are perfect. Perfect doesn't mean someone who is sinless. Perfect just means someone who is more mature. And some are more mature than others. So let us therefore as many as are mature have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, then God will show that to you as well. And Paul's saying, look, follow my example, but if you disagree with what I'm saying, then God will show you that what I'm saying is right. And just so you know, that, that phrase, press on, has the idea of, of, a, of, a, of, of chasing after. How many of us have seen a movie with a car chase? Not many. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Steve, loves, Steve won't watch a movie that doesn't have a car chase in it. <laughs> But that's the idea. You have a, 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 a hot pursuit. You have two vehicles that one's chasing after the other, one's bearing down another, trying to get its hold on it. And that's the idea that Paul is giving us, I press on. There are lots of word pictures in this text, so we're going to have to understand what he's saying. I press on. I'm in hot pursuit. I'm chasing after with great intensity. He's not wishy-washy about it. There's a fierce intensity in his mind as he pursues after this heavenly reward. I press on toward the goal for the prize 
Here's the reward. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is going after a fixed reward with great intensity because he has received a call. And it is a call from heaven and it is a call to heaven. It is a call that originates in heaven and it is a call that directs him to heaven. And so he's chasing after, he's, he's received this call and now he's chasing after it. He's, he's in hot pursuit of this call. The King James calls it a high calling. The NIV says it's a heavenward call. And so you get the idea the reward is heavenly because it, that's where it originates. And that's where it's taking us to. That's where it's taking Paul to. So the pursuit of heavenly reward is to be chasing after with great effort and intensity a prize that is associated with a heavenly call. In order to study this pursuit, we will follow a three-point outline which focuses on verse 12 to 16. We want to be looking at the mindset of the pursuit, the motivation of the pursuit, and also the method of the pursuit. The mindset associates or talks about the what. What, what sort of frame of mind should we have in order to engage in this pursuit? The motivation gives us the why. Why should we even engage in this pursuit? And then the method, how should we engage in this pursuit? So hopefully that covers uh, the basic questions about the pursuit of heavenly reward and why we should be and how we should be following this call. And so I trust that this outline will help us understand better the pursuit of heavenly reward. But more importantly, as we go through the study, hopefully we will understand what exactly is this reward that we are meant to chase after. So let's begin with our first point, the mindset of the pursuit. What sort of mindset do you need to have in order to pursue heavenly reward? Have a look at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. Remember that word loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Well, there's quite a few times he's talking about loss there, and that is a business term which not only talks about a bad deal, but a bad deal that actually incurs a hefty fine. So that's the sort of transactionary imagery that Paul is using to, about his human achievement. He's saying, I made, I made a bad deal. I made such a bad deal that not only did I lose, but I was fined on top of it. That's how bad my deal was. That's the mindset that we need in order to pursue heavenly reward where we are willing to set aside all our human pursuits and achievements and consider them to be a bad deal. Are we willing to set aside everything that we have achieved? Not just because it's a bad deal, because it's like animal excrement. If you think that that's a bit extreme, you can blame Paul, because that is the word that he uses. The King James calls it dung, quite scandalously. 
But that's the word. Scubalon. If there's anything you remember from today, remember, say it, say it in your head. Scubalon. Once more, say it again. Scubalon. Remember that word. It's a key word. Because Paul is saying, everything I have achieved so far in my life is scubalon. This is not Paul who is just some other guy off the street. This is Paul the Pharisee, someone who is a rising star in Judaism. Everybody knows Paul. Paul is there when Stephen is getting murdered, giving approval to his murder. Everybody knows Paul. Paul has reached the pinnacle of being a lawyer in Hebrew society. And he's saying that he has set aside, he's he's made a careful weighing, in keeping with that business uh, transactionary terminology, he's made a careful weighing of all that he's achieved, and he sets it aside and says, it's all a loss, it's a bad deal, it's a bad debt, forget it. And why does he consider it to be Scubalon, what does he consider to be Scubalon? Everything from verse 4 to 6. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Hey, you know, I'm as close to being perfect as the law requires me to be. I'm in Israel, I'm circumcised, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, my credentials are awesome, my intellect is awesome, I'm sharp, I'm smart, uh, I'm blameless in the eyes of the law. I'm as perfect as a human being can get under the law. How many people do you know who, who think that about themselves today? Do you think of yourself like that today? Sure, I may not be as smart as Paul. Sure, I may not be as blameless, but I'm okay. Paul says, look, if perfection is measured by ethnicity or family history or tradition or intellect or any of those human standards, that's pointless. And why is he using such strong language? Because he wants his readers to understand that they are false teachers who are teaching the exact opposite. Beware of the dogs, verse 2. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. Why are we the true circumcision? Because we worship in the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. False teachers give false assurance because they teach that human works and tradition can somehow earn the merit and favor of God. This is, this is Gospel 101. But Paul says, I'm, I'm, I've said these things to you before, and it is a safeguard for me to say to you again, the gospel is the sort of guardrail for us in our pursuit of heavenly reward. If you, th- if you think that you can stand because, before your maker because of your good works, then that's like holding up a bunch of scuba on before God and expecting his applause. How stupid and delusional is that? We wouldn't do that to another human being. Why do we think we could do that to the creator of the universe? So if we don't put our confidence in these acts of religion, then what should we put our confidence in? What's Paul's advice? Verse 8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value 
Again, business terminology. Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but scubalon. Why do you count them as scubalon, Paul? So that I may gain Christ. Business terminology again. But this time, it's about making a good deal. It's not just making a good deal. It's not just making a good transaction, but you're trading up. You've exchanged something of lesser worth for something of greater worth. I consider everything to be rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Why does Paul want to gain Christ and, be, and want to be found in Him? Just one word. Justification. Paul wants all his achievements to be set aside and considered loss so that he can trade up to be found in Christ. Everything that he sees around him is worthless except Christ. He wants to be united with Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. If, if you say, hey Paul, where are you? You have to see Christ. Because Paul is in Christ. He has taken refuge. Christ is a strong tower in which Paul has run for refuge. Why is he running for refuge? Because he realizes that he is under the wrath of God and that he has no hope to withstand the indignation and punishment of God if he stands outside of Christ. God is angry with me. God is offended at my very existence because of my sin. I have no other way to appease Him except I am found in Christ. Do we have that understanding of our standing before God? Do we understand that we have no business to be in the presence of a holy God unless we are standing and found in Christ? Do we understand that there's no way we can be accepted in and of ourselves and outside of Christ? Why is that? Why is it that we must stand in Christ alone? Because in God's eyes, there is no one else who matches up to His law, who is sinless, who has kept His law, and who is able to stand before Him blameless. Why do we need to be in Christ? Because it is Christ who does things on our behalf. He was sinless on our behalf. He obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf. He stands righteous before God on our behalf. He offers a perfect and sinless and blameless sacrifice to God on our behalf. He takes the judgment and the, and, and, and the punishment and the condemnation of God on our behalf. He is our substitute. That's what He does for us. That's why we need to be standing in Him. That's why Paul wants to be found in in Him. On Christ the solid rock I stand. 
all other ground is sinking sand. When, when we sing that song, do we understand the weight of those words? Do we really understand that all other ground is sinking sand? It is a mire of clay that will swallow us up alive. So the mindset of, of the pursuit is zero confidence in yourself and total confidence in Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We are accepted by God not on the basis of anything that we have done, but on the basis of, and only on the basis of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so therefore, are we willing to consider everything to be waste? It's a waste of time. It's nothing. It's vanity. It is futility. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, as many as are spiritually mature, have this attitude. We can't start the pursuit of heavenly reward without this attitude. There is no heaven to gain without this attitude. There's nothing to move forward to if we don't first start at zero. Zero confidence in ourselves, full confidence in Christ. Paul, you're, you're the evangelist, you're the missionary, you're going across Europe and Greece and, 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 and Antioch and, and Asia Minor and you're setting up all these churches and, and, and you're saying this? Yeah. Yeah. I have not obtained it. I have yet to lay hold of it. What is it? Everything from verse 8 to 11. The surpassing value of knowing Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in Him, to know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. No matter how advanced and how far you progress in your spiritual walk, there is still room for improvement. I read a really cheesy, very cheesy comment, but I think it's true. The greatest room in the world is the room for improvement. It's true. It's a bit corny. But it's true. No matter how, I mean, this is Paul. This is writer of, of half the New Testament. I have not achieved it. I have not attained to it. It's the attitude that says that my perfection is what is reckoned to me, but that's not what I am yet. This is how God sees me. He sees me as perfect because I'm in His Son. When He sees me, He sees the perfect sacrifice of His Son. He sees the perfect at atonement of His Son. I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Amen. I'm in that blood. I'm covered by the blood. But there's still work to be done. I'm perfect in God's eyes. I'm perfectly righteous and holy because that is who I will become. That is what the Son has done for me now. But is that who I am? No. What does Paul say in Romans 7? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? So the mindset of the believer is the mindset that understands the now, but not yet aspect of our salvation. We are perfect now, but we are not yet perfect. In Christ, I am perfect now. That's how the Father sees me. And yet, when I see myself, I see so much work to be done. So much more to go. God sees me for whom I will become, who who I am in Christ, and who I will become. But I am confronted by who I see now in the flesh. I look in the mirror and... Yeah, it's, there's, there's work to be done. And so there's this duality that I need to contend with. God sees me as perfect. He reckons the, the righteousness and the perfection of His Son to me, but I'm not perfect yet. And this is the mindset that we need to have if we want to pursue heavenly reward. There's a sense of dissatisfaction. I'm perfectly satisfied with what God has done, what Christ has done for me. It is finished. There's nothing more to be done. But in me, it's not finished. There's a lot more to be done. And so this brings us to our second point, the motivation for the pursuit. Let's look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Why do you press on, Paul? Why do you chase after? Why are you so vigorously in chase of? so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Okay, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Why do you press on, Paul? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. From here we can see two motivations. Two motivations that the believer has to pursue heavenly reward. Motivation number one, because Christ has pursued them. Christ has laid hold of me. And motivation number two, that's the upward call. That's what I've been called to do. Motivation number one, so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Imagine for a minute that you're watching the Olympics and you're watching the wrestling and you can see two opponents who are trying to grapple with each other and trying to pin each other and trying to get some locks and trying to get their arms around in the right position so that they can pin their opponent down to the mat that is the idea of lay hold of Christ has laid hold of me He has got me in this grip and He has pinned me to the mat. Wow, Paul, that's that's pretty pretty strong imagery. Why are you using that? Because 25 years ago, that's exactly what happened on a dusty road to Damascus. Paul is on his way with righteous indignation to arrest all people who are following after this blaspheming Christ. He is gripped with a fanaticism like a jihadi. 
He will not abide these people who are breaking the Jewish law. And he's on his way to arrest them and bring them back to trial and justice in Jerusalem. And on his way to, to, uh, to Damascus, he sees this light and he's knocked to the ground. The man who was going to arrest people is now arrested by Christ. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Christ has pinned me to the ground. Christ has laid hold of me. He has gripped me. This is one aspect of our conversion that we don't really like to talk about, is it? Because it goes against the narrative that we have constructed in our theology of Jesus as a gentleman. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't wrestle me to the ground. We wouldn't think like that if we knew what it meant for Christ to lay hold of us. Maybe that's why we don't, that, we don't show that sort of commitment to lay hold of him. If we knew the intensity with which Christ has laid hold of us, would it make a difference to the way in which we pursue him and lay hold of him? You might say, you know, Jesus actually had to do that to Paul because he was going to kill and arrest people. Like, I'm, I'm not here to hurt anyone. I'm not here to persecute anyone. I'm not here to harm anyone. I'm just in my own corner, minding my own business. Why does God have to lay hold of me? Why does Jesus have to pin me to the ground? I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. No. Paul tells us that in our natural born state, we are the enemies of God. Romans 5.10, Colossians 1.21. Romans 8.7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. You don't have to persecute people to be hostile to God. You don't have to arrest people or hurt people or harm people to, to be hostile to God. You are naturally hostile to God. And that's why Jesus has to wrestle you to the ground to hear his voice. Listen to what I am saying. He has to kick the door down and says, I'm arresting you, you are mine, come with me. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that he wants his pursuit of heavenly reward to be the same as Christ's pursuit of him. If we understand the intensity with which Christ gripped us, we will know the intensity we need to have to grip him. We will know what it means to press on, soldier on, keep on keeping on, don't stop. Motivation number two. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A call has come from above, like we said. A call is calling us to above. The origin and the direction are both from heaven. And so I press on and heed that call. The origin is heaven. The direction is heaven. How do you think I should respond? 
But here's, some, here's how some people respond. You may have heard this before. They say, mm, so if the righteousness of Christ is already attributed to me, if God already sees me as perfect, why do I need to press on? What's the point? I'm perfect already, right? God sees me as perfect. Why do I need to uh, make this effort? Why do I need to strive? Why do I need to press on? There's a movement in evangelicalism which says, which talks of free grace. I don't have to do anything. God has done everything for me. And yes, that's true. Christ has done everything for us to gain our salvation. But there's another aspect. And that is to be found in the difference between justification and sanctification. We need to understand this. We need to know these terms because we will then be able to identify what other people are teaching us and whether that's true or false. Justification. God sees me for who I am and forgives me because His Son is my substitute. I am hidden in Christ. Justification is the work of the Son on my behalf that is complete. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit in me that is ongoing. It is a work in progress. It will always be unfinished this side of eternity. This is what Spurgeon has to say. So far as acceptance with God is concerned, a Christian is complete in Christ as soon as he believes. He's complete. There is nothing more to be done. And so when people say that I'm already complete, they're right. Yes, it's true. But, while the work of Christ for us is complete, that of the Holy Spirit in us is not complete, but is continually carried on from day to day. The condition in which every believer should be found is that of progress. This is what God says in Romans 8, 28-29. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. There's that call. The upward call, the heavenly call, the heavenward call. There's the call. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. There's the purpose. I have received a call from heaven which tells me that I must be like Christ. This is what God has planned for me. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's my prize. That's my goal. That's why I have to keep on keeping on because I will never be like Him on earth. But I keep striving. Because I see His perfection and I see my imperfection. I see His holiness. I see my sin. I see His beauty. I see the ugliness of who I am. Paul wants to be conformed to the image of his Savior. Jump down to verse 20 in our text, in Philippians 3. See what Paul is saying again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we await Him? Because he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Same idea. Predestined to the image of the Son of Glory. Paul is he's not just 
trying to aim for Christ's likeness in, in his spirit and in his attitude, he wants to be fully, physically glorious. Is that what we are waiting for? And yes, there is a crown. Yes, there is reward. Yes, there is well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, there is glory that we will receive. Yes, there is praise and honor and all of that that we will receive. But can anything compare to this? That's the purpose of the pursuit. That's the motivation to be like Christ To be like, do is is that your ambition? I know there's, there's there's many of us who are well past careers and are in the in the in the twilight of our years. But do we have that ambition? Is it our ambition to be like Christ? Because the moment you you become a, a child of God, you want to be like Christ. The goal is to be like Christ. The prize is to be like Christ. The call is in Christ. The call is to Christ. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. 1 John 3, 2. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost. That's why Paul can say this. Because when he looks at the surpassing beauty and riches and glory of Christ, I mean, everything else is nothing. It's nothing. Have you seen the beauty of Christ? Have you heard his call? Has he gripped you? Are you gripping him? Christ's finished work makes me righteous in God's eyes and the Spirit's ongoing work is making me more like Christ. Is that ever going to happen? Yes, you can be sure of it. For I am confident of this this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 It's going to happen. Stay in there. Hang in there. Press on. What does this work look like in the life of the believer? And we just come to our last point. The method or the the means of the pursuit. One thing I do, it's a single-minded focus. I don't do anything else. I'm not here, I'm not there, I'm not distracted. One thing I do, this is all I do. This is all I do. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 13. What's the method of the pursuit? I forget what lies behind. You know, coming from Paul, this is, this is really serious. Paul, you've, you've, you've had people killed. You've, you've had people arrested. You've, you've done all sorts of evil in, in God's name and you're saying that you are able to forget what is behind? Yes. Yes. 
Because in Christ there is no condemnation. How beautiful that I can leave such a treacherous past behind. People tear themselves up over guilt and shame and, and the things that they've done in the past and they're just not able to forgive themselves. And it's true, they shouldn't. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. No matter, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how ugly your sin, no matter how treacherous your past, no matter what you've done, there is hope in Christ because if He has paid for your sin, then God does not attribute that sin to you. It is paid, it is forever dealt with, it is done. Micah, Micah 7.19 He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Cannot be found. Always forgiven. That is why I press on. That is why I am able to forget what is behind. Because Christ has paid it all for me. If God does not hold your sin against you, who are you to hold it against yourself? That's not all. I reach forward to what lies ahead. And if the athletic imagery of the text hasn't already become obvious to you, then this should. It's, it's got that picture of that last home stretch where the athletes are just straining with every muscle and every fiber in their being to just go across that line. I don't know if you've ever seen those snapshots of, of, of athletes just before they cross the finish line and every, every muscle is tense and every vein is popping as it were in their, in their necks and, and they're just giving it all they've got. That's what, that's what it is. He's not just a, oh, I'm just... He's giving it all he's got. And he's, this is not just reaching forward as in I do it just once. I'm always doing this. It's continuous. I'm always reaching forward. I'm always forgetting what lies behind. I'm always reaching forward to what lies ahead. That is, that is my action. That is my motivation. That is my method. Unfortunately, we live in a time in Christianity where it seems okay not to stretch yourself. Don't stress. It's okay. And to an extent that's true, but what is Paul saying? He doesn't he, he's, he, he's want to give up. He's pressing on. There is an eagerness to lay hold of this. I mean, in the Philippians, in, in, in the first few chapters, he says, look, you know, I want to be with Christ. That's, that's what I want. But if, if I need to be here for you guys, that's fine, too. But that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. That's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm soldiering on. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing myself. We're also tentative about the future, aren't we? Oh, it's uncertain. I can't see what's going to happen. Should I reach forward to something? I don't know. Stephen Olford, a commentator, says, Most people are afraid of the future. Uncertainty and insecurity about the days that lie ahead fill the heart with fear and foreboding. But for the Christian, there need be no fear. 
Are you stretching yourself to achieve Christ-likeness? Are you straining with every fiber of your being to be like Christ? To lay hold of that for which He laid hold of you. Lastly, verse 12 and verse 14, I press on. Rest in your justification, but do not rest in your sanctification. Rest in what God has done for you. Do not rest with with what the Spirit is doing in you. Press on. In the previous chapter of Philippians, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. He gives us a new disposition. He gives us new affections. He gives us new desires. We want to be in conformity with the Son. And so we press on. And so basically Paul is saying, work out what God has worked in. Put on display what has happened in your heart. Reach for the goal. If I can put it a bit poetically... Your sanctification is God tuning you to sing in the key of His holiness. I sound terribly off, but one day I will sing. Holiness is the key to pressing on. How do you do that? Verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Follow the example of godly people among you. For many walk of whom I have told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. How do you walk in holiness? Don't follow false teachers. Simple. Learn to discern those who are the actual enemies of the cross. No one walks around with a sticker saying enemy of the cross. How do you discern it? Read the word. Obey the word. Learn the word of Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do I press on? Love the word. Love the word. Read the word. Be in the word. At the same time, guard against the temptation to feel smug and self-righteous because of what you may have achieved and how far you have come. And you may have come very far. Praise God. He may have done a great work in you because of which you have achieved much. Praise God. But don't rest on that. Keep your eye on Christ. And you will always feel discontent because you know that He is calling you to be like Him. The moment we take our eyes off Christ, it's over. So then, how shall we summarize the pursuit of heavenly reward? Well, allow me to put it like this. We rest in what Christ has done. But we do not rest till we become like him. Because that, he, that is what he has called us to do. We rest in Christ. That's the mindset of our pursuit. We do not rest till we become like him. That's the method. Because that is what he is called to do. Well, that's what motivates us. We want Christ more and more because in Christ, we have the perfect image of God. The first Adam marred that image, destroyed that image, but the second Adam recreates that image in us. 
in Christ now we have the hope of recovering Eden. We have the hope of getting back to that original sinless state in which God intended for us to be. In Christ, we are a new creation. I close with one of the stanzas from an old hymn. Run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up thine eyes and seek his face. Life with its way before us lies. Christ is the path and Christ the prize. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, we just want to thank you for who we are in Christ. We want to thank you for the work that he has done on our behalf because of which we can stand before you and be reckoned as righteous. But Lord, we still are confronted with the sinfulness of our own lives because of the work that your Spirit is doing in us and shining lights in places that we have not seen and then he brings that to light and then we are horrified. But then again we rest because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but we press on to be like Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live walking daily, denying ourselves, taking up your cross. Lord, living out what you have worked in us. Help us to understand that we are perfect in your eyes, but that there is still work to be done. And so help us, Lord, to strain forward, to press on, to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of us. We just pray that you would give us a passion for holiness and just a great desire to be like your Son. And it is in his name that we ask all these things. Granted for his sake we pray. Amen.